This is episode 401 of the AWS podcast, released on October 25th, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Sam Alicia here with you. Great to have you back. And of course, I'm joined by Nikki Stone. G'day, Nikki. How are you doing? Great, Simon. How are you? I'm very well and uh, it's nice to uh, get together again to have a bit of a chat about all the goings on that have been happening. And maybe let's start with the topic of analytics. An update for Amazon QuickSight, which I think is pretty cool, is you now have on-sheet filter controls. So this means these are filters you can put besides the visuals on your dashboard. So it means that readers can quickly slice and dice data in the context of its visual representation. So you can uh, create these from existing or new filters with a single click and you can do different operations like specific dates, relative dates, date ranges, setting upper and lower values, uh, adding drop downs with a single select, multi-select, a whole bunch of stuff. Pretty cool. And uh, QuickSight is one of those services that I think when customers uh, – get their hands on it, they really enjoy the experience, which is pretty cool. Now, one of the topics we'd love to talk about, of course, is lower cost and higher performance. Amazon EMR now provides up to 35% lower cost and up to 15% improved performance for Spark workloads using Graviton 2-based instances. Now, we've talked about that instance type before, but using that means you can get some pretty significant improvements. In fact, uh, in some cases, you can get uh, up to 76% lower total cost and 3.6% improvement in terms of running different types of workloads as well. So lots of improvements going on there. AWS Glue has lots of announcements for us this time. Uh, so AWS Glue streaming ETL jobs now support schema detection and evolution. So streaming, extract, transform, and load jobs can now automatically detect the schema of incoming records and gracefully handle schema changes on a per record basis. That's not an easy thing to do. This is, I'm pretty excited about this because this is like one of the biggest headaches, isn't it? Of just, you know, managing schemas and the the one outlier breaks everything. So this is pretty cool. Definitely. This is, I thought this one was extremely cool when I first read it for sure. Uh, So previously you actually had to specify the schema of incoming data, of course, which I would expect to have to do. And now it will just automatically detect it which saves time on reworking your code and increases the flexibility of your ETL jobs. Super cool announcement. Glue has several more for us. So AWS Glue crawlers now support Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility and MongoDB collections. So you can now use Glue crawlers to infer the schema of Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility and MongoDB collections and create or update a table in the Glue data catalog. A configuration option also allows you to specify if you want the crawler to crawl the entire data set or select a sample of the data to reduce the crawl time. So that one's also really cool. AWS Glue streaming ETL jobs now support reading records in the Apache Avro format. So Glue can now read data encoded in Apache Avro format. Previously, streaming ETL jobs could only read data in JSON, CSV, Parquet, and XML formats, and this is now a new format the addition of Avro, which if you uh, use the Avro format, you're excited about that. And lastly for Glue, it now supports reading from self-managed Apache Kafka. So Glue can now ingest data from Apache Kafka clusters that you manage yourself. Previously, it supported reading specifically from Amazon managed streaming for Apache Kafka. But now with this update, Glue allows you to perform streaming ETL on data from Apache Kafka 
whether it's deployed on-prem or in the cloud. That's very nice. Now, an update for Amazon Redshift that's in preview, cross database queries. That's right. You can now test out the support for the ability to query across databases in a Redshift cluster. With cross database queries, you can seamlessly query data from any database in the cluster, regardless of which database you're connected to. So this can help eliminate data copies, simplify your data organization to help you support multiple business groups on the same cluster. And this is available for Amazon Redshift RA3 instance types. And there's some information about how to do this, but it's a pretty nifty way to do it. Now back to EMR for a couple of other things I failed to mention earlier on. Firstly, uh, Amazon EMR integration with AWS Lake Formation is now generally available. So this is really useful for defining and enforcing a fine-grained access control policies for Apache Spark applications. This used to be in beta, it's now generally available. And Amazon EMR also now supports placing your EMR master nodes in distinct racks to reduce risk of simultaneous failure. So this is a spread placement group strategy for clusters that have multiple master nodes. And you can make sure that the uh, master nodes are on separate underlying hardware to reduce the risk of simultaneous failures that could occur if an instance shares the same rack. Earlier, master nodes were placed within the same subnet, but it didn't have a placement strategy. So now you know that your master node is in a good place. <laughs> AWS Lake Formation now supports cross-account database sharing. So you can now cross-account data share your data lakes so that you can eliminate those data silos and share the information really, really easy. This is a common uh, design pattern when organizations will use a multi-account setup for their Amazon S3 data lakes, limit blast radius for security issues, uh, manage budgets by organizational unit, or just simplify the administrative overhead. But this can tend to create those siloed data lakes. So this now means you avoid that problem. Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics now supports force stop and a new auto scaling status. So Kinesis Data Analytics now allows you to force stop a running application and reset its status to ready, which gives you more control over your applications. And also you can check if your application is scaling up or down through the new auto-scaling application status. The new auto-scaling application status also provides you with better visibility into when applications are being scaled up or down as long as it's enabled for your application. So that's that's pretty cool. So force stop, you can force stop, or you can also check to see if it's being scaled up or down. And lastly, Apache Flink Kinesis Consumer supports EFO and HTTP2 data retrieval. So Apache Flink Kinesis Consumer now supports enhanced fanout and the HTTP2 data retrieval API for Kinesis data streams. EFO allows Amazon Kinesis data streams consumers to scale by offering each consumer a dedicated read throughput up to two megabytes per second. The HTTP2 data retrieval API reduces the latency of data delivery from producers to consumers to 70 milliseconds or better. And in combination, these features allow you to build low latency Apache Flink applications that utilize dedicated throughput from Kinesis data streams. So it looks like that both of those will help you uh, reduce the latency of the data delivery, which is awesome. Moving on to the topic of application integration, Amazon EventBridge now has support for dead letter queues. Now, dead letter queues are very important when you're doing event-driven applications because it helps you make them more resilient and durable because it stores events in queues when those events can't be delivered or the target's unavailable. Now, Amazon EventBridge is a serverless event bus that makes it easy to connect applications together using data from your own applications. 
So SaaS applications, AWS services, it's very cool. We've talked about this in the past. Now, Amazon EventBridge DLQs are standard Amazon SQS queues. You can now add a dead letter queue to your target and you can also configure custom retry policies on your target to enable those fine-grained controls based on the maximum age or the number of retries of these events. And you can also receive notifications when events are moved to a DLQ from CloudWatch Alarms. That one was needed for sure. It is a really good one, that one, I agree. And applications using SNS to send SMS, say that five times fast, are available in five <laughs> new regions. So, uh, you know, SNS can send to, to email, to HTTP endpoints. It can also send to SMS. In fact, I use it for a few of my applications to do that. And now this is supported in 14 regions, including US East, North Virginia, Ohio, US West Oregon, South America, Sao Paulo, Europe, Frankfurt, Ireland, Paris, Stockholm, Middle East, Bahrain, and Asia-Pacific, Tokyo, Mumbai, Singapore, Sydney, and AWS GovCloud US West. That's awesome. Moving on to the topic of compute, AWS end-of-support migration program for Windows Server is now available as a self-serve solution for customers. So the end-of-support migration program for Windows Server provides tooling to migrate your legacy applications from Windows Server 2003, 2008, and 2008 R2 to newer and supported versions on AWS without any refactoring. God, I love that That's last That's the part. big thing there. Yeah, that, that was the big part. That was the reveal. <laughs> that, was, that was the mic drop. Without no any refactoring. refactoring. <laughs> yeah. Because we don't know how that was built. <laughs> it was a long time ago. So initially this was launched at reInvent 2019, and now it's open to customers as a self-serve solution. Please take advantage of it if you are looking to migrate off of Windows Server 2003, 2008, or 2008 R2. Uh, let's see, resource access manager support is now available on AWS Outposts. Uh, so Outpost support for resource access manager lets customers share access to Outpost resources like EC2 instances, EBS volumes, subnets, and local gateways across multiple accounts within an organization. And with this capability, you can enable distributed teams and business units within your org to configure VPCs, launch and run EC2 instances, and create EBS volumes, and of course, share them across those accounts within an organization. There's a new course available for Amazon Elastic Kubernetes Service, or EKS. It's a new three-day classroom course called Running Containers on Amazon Elastic Kubernetes Service, which teaches you practical in-depth skills for managing containers. So you get to build the cluster, configure the environment, deploy the cluster, add applications, whole bunch of stuff. You'll also learn about securely managing your environment, uh, optimizing for cost, efficiency, and resiliency, a whole bunch of good things. And speaking about Amazon EKS, it now supports Kubernetes version 1.18, which includes Topology Manager reaching beta status and a new beta of server-side apply and a new ingress class resource for the ingress specification, which makes it easy to customize your ingress configuration. You can now also configure the behavior of horizontal pod autoscaling. So lots more in the release notes. Now, again, talking about support, Amazon EKS support mirrors the Kubernetes community by providing full support for at least the four most recent releases. So Kubernetes 1.141516171018 are all fully supported today and new clusters can be started using any of these releases. However, given Kubernetes quarterly release cycle, it's critical to have an ongoing upgrade plan. So Kubernetes version 1.14 will no longer be supported on December the 8th, 2020. So you won't be able to create new ones and the others will be eventually upgraded to 1.15. So make sure you keep up to date. This is an interesting one. 
we have now released AWS Lambda extensions in Preview, which is a new way to integrate Lambda with operational tools. So you can use AWS Lambda with extensions for your favorite operational tools for monitoring, observability, security, and governance. Um, and you can use it with the following tools, AppDynamics, Checkpoint, Datadog, Dynatrace, Epsigon, HashiCorp, Lumigo, New, Relic, Thundra, Splunk, AWS AppConfig, and Amazon CloudWatch Lambda Insights. Uh, so extensions are a new way for tools to more easily integrate deeply into the Lambda execution environment to control and participate in Lambda's lifecycle. They use the Extensions API, which is a new interface to register for lifecycle events and get greater control during function initialization, invocation, and shutdown. They can also use environment variables to add options and tools to the runtime or use wrapper scripts to customize the runtime startup behavior. You can use extensions from AWS or AWS Lambda Ready Partners, as well as many open source projects for a wide range of use cases. You can also deploy these extensions through layers, which is cool. And extensions are now available in preview in lots of AWS regions. So definitely check them out and they share the same billing model as Lambda functions. Very, very cool. AWS Compute Optimizer enhances EC2 instance type recommendations with Amazon EBS metrics. So in the past, customers had to analyze their EBS volume metrics to figure out if their EC2 instances had been throttled by EBS bandwidth or IOPS limits. No longer, no more. The tool will now tell you. Speaking of EBS, Amazon EBS CSI driver now supports AWS Outposts. So this supports creating volumes on worker nodes running on AWS Outposts subnets. Uh, so this helps if you're running your Kubernetes pods on that particular platform. And speaking of Outposts, Amazon ElastiCache is now available on Outposts as well. So if you want to run uh, your ElastiCache cluster, you can now run it on Outposts. Elastic Beanstalk has added support for running multi-container applications on AL2-based Docker platform. So you can now run multi-container applications in Beanstalk using Docker built on top of Amazon Linux 2. And the Elastic Beanstalk Docker on AL2 now supports Docker Compose. So you can use Docker Compose YAML format to define and run multiple containers. Really awesome if you have multi-container apps on Beanstalk. AWS Batch has introduced tag-based access control, so you can now control access to batch resources based on tag values. We love our tags here at AWS. <laughs> Amazon <do>. EC2. <laughs> tag all the things. <laughs> tag all the things. Amazon EC2 G4 DN bare metal instances with NVIDIA T4 Tensor Core GPUs are now available in 15 additional regions. Uh, so these are awesome instances. Uh, for machine learning. And uh, the regions that they're now available in are U.S. East Ohio, U.S. West North California, Canada Central, Europe Frankfurt, Ireland London, Milan, Paris, and Stockholm, Asia Pacific, Mumbai, Seoul, Singapore, and Sydney, South America, Sao Paulo, Africa, and Africa Cape Town. Uh, so that's awesome if you uh, are looking to use one of those instances. And lastly here, the AWS Launch Wizard now supports SAP HANA backups with AWS Backint Agent. So you can now use the AWS Launch Wizard to deploy and configure AWS Backint Agent, which is an SAP certified backup and restore application for SAP HANA workloads running on EC2 instances. While creating a deployment with the Launch Wizard, you have the option to enable backups with the Backint Agent by selecting the S3 bucket where the backups will be stored and the encryption keys to use. Also, you can configure backups to local volumes for ad hoc backups as needed. 
Moving on to the topic of cost management, there is now a new capability called AWS Budgets Actions. And this means you can define the action you want to take in your account when a budget exceeds its threshold. This can be actual or forecasted amount. And this level of control will allow you to reduce that unintentional overspending in your account. So there are three action types. There's IAM policy, service control policy, or target running instances. These could be EC2 or RDS. So for example, you can choose to apply a custom deny EC2 run instances IAM policy to a user group or role in your account once your monthly budget for EC2 has been exceeded. With the same budget threshold, you can configure a second action that targets specific EC2 instances within a particular region. Lots of amazing stuff in this one. So it's a good one to look into if you've ever wanted to sort of take action on your budget. Now, if you said, I want to use the budget, but uh, you know, it's, it's too expensive. It's, you know, the price for budget days is two cents a day. Um, yeah, it's too much. Um, so now it's free. <laughs> so uh, basically we've moved it from two cents to free. Uh, so customers can take far more advantage of this. Plus there's a free tier as well. There's some additional pricing past that amount, depending on the number of actions. You can have a look into that, but basically it's uh, a lot cheaper. So customers who just want to monitor their cost usage, RI, savings plan coverage and utilization, that's now free of charge under the new AWS budgets pricing. AWS cost categories now supports hierarchies and status tracking. You can now create multi-level hierarchies with cost categories to group your cost and usage information based on your needs. Cost category has added a new dimension in addition to tag, account, service, and charge type. And you can now track whether your most recent cost category updates have been applied to your cost and usage data via a new status attribute on your cost categories dashboard. Previously, you could categorize your cost and usage data using four dimensions, account, tag, service, and charge type, but now you can also choose cost category as a dimension to create these hierarchical relationships among your cost categories. For example, consider you have defined a team cost category with values as team one, team two, and team three to categorize your cost and usage per team. You may want to further categorize your teams into separate business units for your cost management needs. And now you can easily do so by creating a new business unit cost category that is built on top of your existing team cost category by selecting dimensions as cost category and team as the cost category name for the dimension. So further further granularity for uh, cost categories. And lastly, AWS Purchase Order Management is now generally available. So Purchase Order Management gives you the ability to define and manage your purchase orders for AWS services in a way that meets your business needs. You can manage PO information from the billing console, configure multiple POs, and define the rules of how POs map to your AWS invoices. You can also track your PO status and balance and set up email notifications to proactively validate your POs. We are now, it's now GA, so it's no longer in beta, it's now GA. So take advantage if you uh, need to uh, manage purchase orders. Definitely makes it a lot easier. Moving on to the topic of customer engagement and the Amazon Connect team have been super busy. It now supports one-click drill downs for real-time metrics. So you can now see your queue and routing data profile in one click. So for example, if a queue has a long wait time, call center managers can create a table in one click to view agents in that queue. And using that table, they can quickly identify agents in an error status and work with them to resolve their issue. So very handy. It also now supports Amazon Lexbots with US Spanish. So you can route traffic to that particular Lexbot and it can cope with the US Spanish approach. And it also now has improved the chat. So Amazon Connect Chat now provides automation and personalization capabilities with whisper flows. So for example, you can display text showing the customer's name and membership status to an agent and inform a customer that the 
chat is being recorded for quality assurance purposes or provision access to a customer relationship management system with the agent accepting the contact. So Whisperflows let you create personalized one-sided interactions, which only an agent or end customer will see. And so this is really useful to, to you know, provide the information you should already have. You know, I know whenever I ring up, I hate saying, well, what's your member number? What's this? What's that? You know, you could kind of know. Um, so it can, it can do that. And finally, uh, we have uh, launched for Amazon Connect user access controls for contact search using agent hierarchy, which means you can easily protect sensitive data and maintain compliance. So you can manage access to contact trace records, call recordings and chat transcripts in the contact search page of your Amazon Connect instance using agent hierarchies. So this allows you to group administrators uh, and uh, sorry, to group users together, I should say, and you can use these groups to control access to the results of searches, which means you can choose who gets access to what, you know, supervisors can have more, uh, individual contact takers can have less, you can figure it out based on your environment. Um, no additional charge to use this feature. It's awesome. Love free. Moving on to the topic of database, AWS Gravitron 2 based database instances are now generally available for Amazon RDS. Graviton 2 instances provide up to 35% performance improvement and up to 52% in a price performance improvement for RDS open source databases, depending on, of course, the engine, version, and workload that you've chosen. And you can launch these database instances when using RDS for MySQL, RDS for PostgreSQL, and RDS for MariaDB. Aurora support is coming soon. So those instances are GA. You can take full advantage for that uh, reduction in price and better performance. Amazon Aurora has enabled dynamic resizing for database storage space. The storage space allocated to your Aurora cluster will now dynamically decrease when you delete data from the cluster. The storage space already automatically increases up to a maximum size of 128 tebibytes and will now automatically decrease when data is deleted. And of course, you only pay for the storage that you use. So that's awesome. Basically dynamic resizing for storage space uh, for both increasing and decreasing. <laughs> up to 128 terabytes, ter tebibytes. I mean, just seriously. <laughs> Can't even imagine. I that. don't think I've ever had, that's a big database. That is a big database. Amazon RDS for PostgreSQL supports concurrent major version upgrades of read replicas. So it will now concurrently upgrade all your in-region read replicas along with the upgrade of your primary database instance during a major version upgrades of PostSQL. So that means you get the uh, up-to-date version without it taking hours and hours for it to get completed. Also, you can now use the multi-major version upgrade for PostgreSQL to skip major versions. So for example, you can upgrade from PostgreSQL 9.5 straight to Postgres 12 and your read replicas will be upgraded to match. So uh, that classifies in my book as undifferentiated heavy lifting that is gone away. Database activity streams for Aurora is now available in four additional regions. So you can now use database activity streams with Aurora in Sao Paulo, South America, Middle East, Bahrain, Africa, Cape Town, and Europe, Milan. So if you, uh, if you really love database activity streams or you'd like to take advantage of it, it's now available in those regions. You can also easily restore an Amazon RDS from MySQL database from your MySQL 8.0 backup. So you can restore a new RDS MySQL database instance from a backup of your existing MySQL 8.0 database, whether it's running on EC2 or outside of AWS. And this is done by using Percona Extra Backup to create a backup of your existing MySQL database uploading the resulting files to an S3 bucket and then creating a new 
Amazon RDS database instance through the RDS console or using the command line. Amazon Elasticash now supports M6G and R6G Graviton 2 based instances. So this allows you to get significant benefits in terms of uh, performance improvement. You can enjoy up to a 45% price performance improvement over previous generation instances. And these Graviton 2 instances are now the default choice for Elasticash clusters. So this means you get the latest and greatest and the best value as well. And Amazon Elasticash for Redis now has support for Redis 6 with managed role-based access control or RBAC. So you now have the ability to create and manage users and user groups that can be used to set up that uh, control for those Redis commands. And you can now simplify your architecture by maintaining those security boundaries and having several applications using the same Redis cluster without being able to access each other's data. Uh, also, there is now uh, improvements with server-side enhancements to deliver efficient client-side caching to further improve your performance. And there is also a lot of operational improvements that come with this new version as well. Now, Open Source Redis 6 also announced support for encryption in transit, a capability that's already available in Amazon Elasticache Redis 4.0.10 onwards. This release of Amazon Elasticache Redis 6 does not impact Amazon Elasticache Redis's existing support for encryption in transit. Moving on to the topic of developer tools, we have a very light topic today. Two quick announcements. The first one is Code Guru Profiler now supports resource tagging. So you can now resource tag for profiling groups in Amazon Code Guru, which again, we love our tags. And uh, lastly, here, there is a new Amazon Builders library article entitled Avoiding Overload in Distributed Systems by Putting the Smaller Service in Control. Senior Principal Engineer Joe Magarmov dives deep into the strategies for avoiding the larger service from overloading the smaller one by putting the smaller service in control of the pace of the interactions. So check it out if you're interested in uh, overload and distributed systems. And Nikki, I'm going to make a bold statement. If you're a developer or an architect who does any work in distributed systems, you must, I repeat must, read all the articles <laughs> in the Amazon Builders Library because okay, you're basically getting you. the, the aggregate of hundreds of years of experience of what not to do and how to do things properly. It is just a, a tremendous resource. So uh, uh, just uh, your regular reminder, <laughs> go read it. It will save you a lot of heartache. I second that. Moving on to the topic of end user computing. Um, I don't know about you, but I live my life in dark mode these Same. days because uh, I don't like being blinded by my screen. And it's funny when you get that odd application that doesn't support dark mode and you're like, ah, it burns, it burns. <laughs> uh, so Amazon, Amazon WorkDocs now supports dark mode on iOS. So if you're running dark mode, it will work. So there you go. Moving on to the topic of game tech, Amazon Lumberyard Beta 1.26 is now available. There are some major updates in this new version, which include updates to dynamic terrain and landscape canvas, the GA release of the PhysX gem, a complete preview release of UI 2.0 with over 75 updates for building UI 2.0 extensions, an updated release of the white box tool, an updated and streamlined viewport interaction model amongst many more updates. So check it out if, you, uh, if you're a game developer. Let's move on to the topic of machine learning and Amazon recognition now detects personal protective equipment or PPE, such as face covers, head covers and hand covers on persons in images. So relevant. So you can imagine this is really important when it comes to uh, safety hazards, uh, things like sharp edges, falling objects, flying sparks, etc. You've got to make sure that 
people are wearing their PPE. Uh, with Amazon recognition PPE detection, customers can analyze images from their on-premises cameras across multiple locations to automatically detect if persons in the images are wearing their required PPE. And when customers analyze an image using Amazon recognition PPE detection, for each person detected in the image, they receive a confidence scores with bounding boxes for each item of protective equipment detected. So face cover, hand covers and head cover and Boolean responses with confidence scores as about whether they've got it or not on the right part of their body. Whole bunch of good stuff there and a big shout out to members of my team who built a, quite a well-known demonstration at the time using Deep Lens and SageMaker which would detect whether you're wearing a hard hat or not. This is like the next iteration of that taking it to all PPE so uh, a really good uh, innovation. Recognition to the rescue. And Amazon Recognition also added support for six new content moderation categories. So content moderation is a deep learning-based service that can detect inappropriate, unwanted or offensive images and videos, which makes it easier to remove and uh, detect those things and do it at scale. Uh, Amazon Recognition provides a detailed taxonomy of moderation categories, things like explicit nudity, suggestive, violence, visually disturbing. Starting today, you can now have six new categories, which include drugs, tobacco, alcohol, gambling, rude gestures and hate symbols. In addition, customers also get improved detection rates for already supported categories as well. And using the Amazon recognition moderation APIs, social media, broadcast media, advertising and e-commerce customers can create a better user experience and provide more brand safety assurances to advertisers or comply with local and global regulations. And Amazon recognition custom labels now guide customers to fix data set related errors, which means you get faster creation of a high quality customer inference API. So what this is, is an automated machine learning feature that allows customers to find objects and scenes and images unique to their business needs with a simple inference API. And what this new tool does will guide you to fix those data set related errors that could cause training failures because figuring out why something is not working from a trailing perspective uh, can be hard. This deconstructs it for you and makes it a lot easier. Love that. Amazon Transcribe has announced support for AWS Private Link for their batch APIs. So you can now use Private Link to access the Transcribe batch APIs from your VPCs without using public IPs or requiring the traffic to traverse the internet. Love those announcements. Uh, Amazon Personalize announces improvements that reduce model training time by up to 40% and latency for generating recommendations by up to 30%. So these efficiency improvements for personalized decrease the time required to train models by again 40% and reduce latency for generating recommendations by 30% and you just you just get it. You don't have to do anything. It's just there. It's just it just happened. Just happened. <laughs> SageMaker. Speaking of just Speaking of just happened, Amazon SageMaker price reductions also just happened up to 18% for MLP3 and MLP2 instances. So this makes them an even more cost-effective solution to meet your machine learning needs. These will be effective October 1st, 2020 and apply to MLP3 and MLP2 instances for SageMaker Studio Notebooks, on-demand notebooks, processing, training, real-time inference and batch transform. And also you can now launch Amazon SageMaker Studio in your VPC as well. Uh, so this allows you to have your fully integrated development environment for machine learning. In fact, it was the first one uh, that can run in a single click in your VPC. So you can have that uh, good to go inside that construct if that's what you prefer. Moving on to the topic of management and governance, AWS Systems Manager Patch Manager now provides a catalog of all patches for Amazon Linux. 
So this makes it easier for you to create patch compliance reports by providing a catalog of all the patches released for Amazon Linux and Amazon Linux 2. You can now view a list of all released patches for Amazon Linux and AL2, even if those patches are not applicable to your fleet based on your patch rules. And furthermore, you can view additional details such as severity, release date, and vulnerability identifier for patches in the catalog. AWS Systems Manager also now supports free text search of runbooks. So this lets you easily search for runbooks and other system manager documents, such as the run command and distributor packages by specifying a part of the name as the search keyword. This feature also enables easy discovery of runbooks when you have a large number of runbooks in your account or when you do not remember the exact name of a runbook. I would probably struggle with that all the time. <laughs> what was it called again? Uh, we're happy to announce Amazon CloudWatch Lambda Insights in preview. This enables you to monitor, troubleshoot, and optimize the performance of AWS Lambda functions. So with this preview, you get access to automated dashboards, summarizing the performance and health of your Lambda functions that provide visibility into issues such as memory leaks or performance changes caused by new function versions. Although, Nikki, you would never deploy code that would make something work worse than it was beforehand, would you? <laughs> Let's hope would that. would not happen. <laughs> if I still want to do So this lets you get... Exactly. That, this lets you get insight into that when, when stuff goes unusually wrong that you didn't think would go wrong. Amazon CloudWatch Synthetics now launches Recorder to generate user flow scripts for Canary. So this is a really great capability based upon the Headless Recorder. So full credit to the Headless Recorder who created this capability. And we based uh, this particular capability on that so that you can now run a Canary that follows the same user click and type actions that you recorded. So you get that sort of... Uh, uh, realistic view. And CloudWatch Synthetics were busy. They also now support pre-built Canary monitoring dashboard. So you can now get a snapshot of the Canary health with a pre-built dashboard. The new dashboard provides Canary data trends over time for latency, availability, and error counts. And it also provides expected latency based on historical data of the previous Canary runs. Now, this is really important because it helps you spot anomalies sooner, which in turn allows you to respond faster to ensure a better end user experience. Because remember, the whole point of a Canary deploy, which is deploying some stuff, is to say, did things go worse than they were going before? Because, mm -hmm. you know, now, what's that saying? I, I, I don't like to test, but when I do, I do it in production. Um, <laughs> this avoids that problem. <laughs> oh, my. CloudWatch, uh, this one actually, I'm actually particularly excited about. CloudWatch Application Insights has launched a new improved user interface. Yes. <laughs> they've been working closely with customers <laughs> and they've introduced an enhanced user interface to make setting up and managing your enterprise application monitoring even more straightforward. Insights is a capability that helps you easily set up application monitoring and enhanced observability for your AWS resources, and these UI improvements streamline the steps for doing so in a more intuitive and consistent approach. Love that one. AWS Code Artifact now supports CloudFormation, so you can now create and manage code artifact repositories with CloudFormation. And lastly, AWS OpsWorks for configuration management now supports a new version of Chef Automate. Uh, so it now supports the newest version of Chef Automate, which runs with Chef Automate version. Wow, this is a ton of numbers for a version. 20200728181447. And Chef Infra Server version. Call now. Operators are standing by. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was longer than a phone number. Yeah. <laughs> Chef Infra version 12.17.33. Uh, 
And with these versions, there's a number of small improvements and bug fixes. So if you use Chef Automate, you can now take advantage of the new version. Moving on to the topic of media services, Adibus Elemental Media Live Statmux now has MPEG-2 support and a bunch of other fancy features that you can dive into, links in the show notes. Uh, we also now have support for Nielsen non-linear audio watermarking, which is now available for Adibus Elemental Media Convert. So this feature enables the application of Nielsen watermarks to encoded audio streams. It can be detected by metering equipment to track the number of viewers, type of viewing equipment and consumption methods. So if you ever wondered how that was done, now you can uh, dive into that yourself. And uh, in-sync frame form of frame rate conversion is also now available with Adibus Elemental Media Convert. And with this feature, you can use that technology to perform broadcast quality motion compensated frame rate conversions between international broadcast frame rates or between broadcast broadcast and film frame rates. This allows you to create high quality video output files even when complex frame rate conversions are required. That's pretty cool because that is, I think frame rates is just one of those perennial problems in media. So uh, it's a pretty nifty capability. Definitely. Moving on to the topic of migration and transfer, AWS Database Migration Service, also known as DMS, now supports transaction commit date partitioning in CDC mode when using Amazon S3 as a target. So Amazon DMS now supports the S3 folder partitions based on transaction commit dates when using S3 as a target and using date-based folder partitioning. You can write data from a single source table to a time hierarchy folder structure in S3. And by partitioning the S3 folder, you can better manage your S3 objects, limit the size of each S3 folder and optimize data lake queries or other subsequent operations. Moving on to the topic of networking and content delivery, AWS Cloud Map simplifies service discovery with optional parameters. So you can now discover endpoints registered in AWS Cloud Map with optional parameters that filter the return results only when there is a matching custom attribute. Uh, so this enhances the service discovery feature because you basically filter down the number of endpoints that match. If there's no match, then AWS Cloud Map ignores the additional parameters and returns a full set of endpoints. So for example, you can call uh, discover instances API with an optional parameter to discover your ECS tasks that are running in US East 1A availability zone. If there are such tasks registered in your service, the cloud map will return the IP addresses along with the metadata. If there's no task running this availability zone, it will return all the tasks registered with your service running in the other availability zones. Moving on to the topic of security, identity, and compliance, AWS IAM Access Analyzer now supports archive rules for existing findings. So these new archive rules allow you to retroactively mark existing findings as intended. Archive rules automatically archive new findings for public and cross-account access that meet the criteria you defined. And you can apply the rules retroactively to mark existing findings as intended. For example, you can create a rule to archive all findings for a specific S3 bucket that you regularly grant read access to. And this lets you focus on, of course, remediating findings that help you reduce broad access. Amazon Inspector has expanded operating system support for Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8, Ubuntu 20.04, LTS, Debian 10, and Windows Server 2019. So customers can now assess their EC2 workloads running Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8, Ubuntu 20.04, LTS, Debian 10, and Windows Server 2019, and external network accessibility using the Inspector. 
AWS Security Hub has launched a new user interface for security standards. Now, these are collections of automated security checks based on industry and regulatory frameworks like the Center for Internet Security's AWS Foundational Benchmarks, the Payment Card Industry Data Security Standard, PCI-DSS, and AWS's own foundational security best practices. So the team have implemented a new tablet tabular view, hard to say that three times fast, that makes it easier to understand your security posture relative to the security checks you've enabled in Security Hub. They've removed the legacy cards view for standards, so you now see a visual summary of all your security checks and account of how many checks have passed or failed. Uh, the controls table will show at a glance the count of failed, unknown, passed and disabled controls in the standard. Because the controls are grouped by status, you can more easily focus on the failed controls and you can filter and search the controls to pinpoint specific resource types and also sort using any of the table columns. You can now see the security score for the standard in the standards page alongside its controls. So it really makes life a bit easier on that front. You can protect your AWS Compute Optimizer recommendations data with custom master keys or CMKs stored in AWS Key Management Service. So you can further protect those recommendation data by exporting your data to S3 buckets, which are encrypted with KMS using CMKs. And finally, you can manage access to AWS centrally for ping identity users using AWS single sign-on. So this allows end users to sign in using ping federate to access all their assigned AWS accounts. So this makes it easier to simplify AWS access management across multiple accounts whilst maintaining the familiar ping identity experience for administrators who manage those identities and for end users as they sign in. AWS SSO and Pink Federate use standards-based automation to provision users and groups into AWS SSO, which saves administration time and increases security. Moving on to the topic of storage, FluentBit supports S3 as a destination to route container logs. So you can now basically route all of your container logs if you're using ECS or EKS to S3 if you use FluentBit. So that's really nice. Um, there are new public data sets available from MIT, the First Street Foundation, Ookla, and others. I love these public data sets because they give you a great opportunity to play with machine learning. And there is a lot of new data sets. It looks like there's two in the COVID-19 space. So if we're looking to write a machine learning model to help the current pandemic situation, uh, there are two new ones there. And then there's a bunch in life sciences, geospatial, climate, weather, machine learning, and networking. Yeah, it really is a great set of data to, uh, to use for your applications and for your own experimentation. And moving on to solutions, there's a new AWS Solutions Consulting offer, which is a Jira Service Desk Data Center implementation. So if this is something you need, there is now a consulting offer to help you do that very, very quickly. There's also one for the Infosys Data Testing Workbench. And there's now a new distributed load testing version 1.1 solution. This lets you simulate thousands of users connecting to your application so you can better understand your application performance under load. The solution launches and configures containers on AWS Fargate to generate a specified number of transactions per second without having to provision servers. Now this update adds support for JMeter test scripts, which is a very popular open source application for testing functional behavior. And it means you can use those to test your applications. It also introduces AWS step functions to reduce solution complexity. I'm going to have to look at that solution because I've been rolling my own for a while. <laughs> Sounds like I don't need to anymore. And finally, we have the new AWS Architecture Center. This is the redesigned version of this, which helps you find all the information you need to design and operate reliable, secure, efficient, and cost-effective cloud applications right from the start. So this is the place to find best practices, reference architecture deployments, reference architecture diagrams, lots more 
even this podcast. And this is the place to go to to start when you're looking for any AWS architecture stuff. Nice little round of updates there, Nikki. Yeah, that was a great little round of updates. There were some good ones in there. Now, Nikki, uh, we got some feedback around audio, and we we continue to work on that. I think uh, I think we should point out you're still, uh, as I would as I would say, out of pocket. You're not in your normal location. I am not, which makes recording a little trickier. <laughs> it uh, definitely has been a little trickier this year with the pandemic. So I apologize for my audio issues to all of our uh, our listeners. Uh, I'll be looks like I'll be returning to the Bay Area with my normal audio setup in just a few weeks here. So bear with me. That's very nice. And I also apologize. I've been recording for the, most of the year from my kitchen table uh, <laughs> and I will not be returning to the normal recording studio until January because I live in Melbourne. So uh, thank you for uh, understanding our uh, audio challenges as we go through this uh, unique time of history. Nikki, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, you can contact me on Twitter. I answer all my DMs there. So my Twitter username is knee like your knee and a key. So K-N-E-E-K-E-Y and then 23. Excellent. And we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the old school 90s style way of doing that. That's the one I follow. And until next time, keep on building.